Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. We're back. It's your man, Lukey, and I am back to host one of the most unique on multiple levels after shows of the darker side of boxing, Pinklin Thomas. You might have heard the name. You might not have heard the name, but my very good friend, Sean, will do the introduction and let you guys kind of know where this conversation is going to start. Thank you, as always, for having me on. Thank you for hosting the show. Uh, we're near the end of the season now. where We've got 10 episodes in total. This was episode number seven, so we've got eight, nine, and ten left. And I feel uh, I feel a bit of sadness creeping upon me already because I know it's uh, another season's coming to an end. And I know we, we've got a few more great stories to finish on. But this story is all about Pinkland Thomas today. The 1980s heavyweight, the WBC and IBO heavyweight champion of the world. But he wasn't always that. You know, we put that headline in there and you think to yourself, you know, this guy must be good. But then when you hear his life story, you think, how the hell did he not die? How the hell did he come out of things on the other side of it and, and go on to actually win one of the most prestigious belts in the sport of boxing? And for you, Luca, you've now had the opportunity to, to listen to this episode in its entirety, what me and Johnson have done and what we've put together uh, based on, obviously, Pinkland's book uh, and interviews Pinkland's done and all accounts of people that were there. Uh, I'd like to get your sort of headline takeaway from it first and foremost. Well, I think my headline takeaway is drugs are bad. But my other takeaway was I got born in a good era where like the recreational drugs from weed, the gateway led to like less dangerous drugs than heroin and crack. And it felt like he was kind of the cautionary tale of being in the eighties, being someone where drugs are kind of helping him get through things. There really was, you can do weed and now you're in the deep end of doing hardcore drugs, which you may or may not come out of. 
And that was kind of like one thing is this is very dated to like how we kind of as America learned how serious drug addiction was, I feel occurred in the 80s was the the presence of heroin and crack. And that kind of led to the 90s war on drugs, at least in America. It's amazing, though, isn't it? How like you, you, you see these people that get so wrapped up in it all and then somehow manage to get themselves involved in one of the most brutal sports in the world and, and go on to, to achieve something. I mean, not all these guys do. And and a big shout out to obviously them really, you know, because there's a lot of them that don't make it. There's a lot of them that don't overcome their own demons to, to get to the top of that mountain. And Pinklin was one of the, the exception to, to the rule really that was able to do that. And I think his story is quite compelling because a lot of the episodes that we, we generally seem to cover generally tell you a tale and they lead you up to a tale and they lead you up to a pinnacle moment whereas this one it, i feel like it's it's hitting you from the off you know you don't even get the opportunity to get to learn a lot about him before you straight into the fact that you know he's already involved in drugs at such a young age and he's going around and he's being involved with these different cats off the streets and it's like how 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 did this happen? How did he get sucked into this world so quickly, so easily? And and you know, even though his parents were around and they were they were able to to intervene at times, ultimately they couldn't stop him from doing what he was doing. He he just wanted to be a part of that life at that time. He wanted that life, even though he had a great upbringing from a parent's standpoint. He just wanted that life. He wanted what everyone else had. I think that the the identity of a high schooler is so pivotal, right? Middle school and high school, we kind of form an identity. And I think like there's words thrown around when you're in high school. Oh, I'd never change. Whether it's loyalty to friends, I'm never going to turn it. Or there's musical groups that define me and I'll never not listen to this group, right? And I feel like he became, his identity became the guy that's associated with drugs at a young age. So it's like, he was probably the gateway for other people who were curious to talk to him to get to those places. And that in of essence was kind of, um, I think that that now creates a burden, right? Because when you become that person who other people now look at as the person who's the connection to all those things, if you stop doing that, how are you defined by your social peer group? Where do they view your mastery? Because I think as a young person, when you don't have mastery over the world, people really are looking for something to control because you just show up to classrooms and then you go other places. So the story goes a little bit as follows, really, without going too much into detail of it. The story goes is that obviously he gets involved with many different characters. Uh, he getting, he's getting involved in weed, first of all, then gets involved in sort of a mixture of, uh, of, of heroin and, and, and other drugs. And then ultimately he gets to his mid-teens, and this is his mid-teens, this is he's not even an adult yet, he's still an adolescent. And he's having contracts put out on his head by, by local gang members because he makes the decision to go out and take an opportunity to try and rob a stash house that's quite a pivotal story i think in in his life and that moment where he big decision too sorry to interrupt you but i mean that's like a that's a big jump to like go okay we got to rob these gangsters 
Well, so it starts off with stores, doesn't it? It starts off with sort of low-level... Uh, for, for the people involved, it's not low-level, low but it's a low-level crime, so to speak. To go from that to then targeting, you know, stash houses of, of, of gangsters and then seeing the opportunity to do it is just quite a... Well, it's it's fueled, isn't it? It's a drug-fueled environment. So is you that false confidence that you get from 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 being involved with drugs and taking drugs on a regular basis that false confidence that it give him made him take that decision to want to go and rob that stash house which then ultimately leads to him being involved in i think it's is it three separate altercations where these two individuals uh clyde and shotgun steve are basically chasing him around the neighborhood trying to find him and trying to kill him not just like trying to beat him up they're not actually trying to kill him like they, they want him dead he's robbed their stash he needs to die but they didn't just rob off, off off them two they actually he actually robbed off the their provider their feeder their gangster and that's what caused the problems he didn't know that pinklin at the time he just thought he was robbing two guys that are sort of at the same level as him in terms of their street credibility but then he goes on to find out a little bit later actually he's one of the big gangsters of pontiac why 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 would he have even wanted to do that if he would have known that before just uh like i'm not and this story is kind of giving me flashbacks to my early childhood that's kind of like traumatic in a weird way so i'm working through because like i was thinking about this girl named daniela and i was like man i was bad influence on her it's getting all these flashbacks but little word of advice to um young people never have issues with a guy who has a gun in their name like if, if shotgun steve is his street nickname i'm gonna take a guess like it, it's there's a few nicknames you don't want to ever start problems with guys who have the nickname smoke and guys who have guns in their nickname and everyone calls them that. So shotgun Steve chasing you around is not a good guy to have you, uh, against you. <laughs> no, no, not, not at all. And it, it's interesting. I think it is a pivotal moment because although it doesn't make him completely kick the habit, it sends him into the arms of of his trainer, uh, Bob Kaiser, who, who ultimately leads him to where he needs to go, which is to the boxing gym and, and how his life starts to turn around. But it's not all plain sailing, of course. Throughout the course of his life, he's still he's still having these moments where he's having these moments of relapses. Like Even though he's become involved as a professional athlete in a sport where he's doing quite well in and he's starting to make a name for himself in a heavyweight division... He still has these moments where he has these lapses and these lapses are what I believe were the moments that that it hindered his career it, it made his it lessened what his career could have been and I think like we, we talk a lot about what could have been with a lot of these fighters don't we it's a recurring theme throughout most of the episodes that we've done for the season it's like what could they have been if they wasn't taking drugs what could they have been if they wasn't involved in gangs Pinkland Thomas is just another example of that I mean, there's so many different things. To me, this story felt strangely similar to Dickie Eklund in the Mickey Ward story, where it's like someone everyone knows has a lot of talent, but they're so deeply troubled with addiction. The other thing that I wanted to bring up is, is part of this that he's just an American heavyweight? And if you're somewhat talented and you're a heavyweight from America, you're going to get a little bit more opportunities. And why I'm saying that is, do you think Pinklin Thomas would be as relevant or revered if he was a lightweight or a welterweight do you think he would have still gotten this many chances or is this partially in america with the mike tyson's the muhammad ali's the joe frazier's the george foreman's the larry holmes 
we're always looking for that next heavyweight. We're a little bit more lenient on these type of things if it's a heavyweight boxer. I think because the heavyweight division's always been the glamour division, it's always been the division that's intrigued most of the fans over the years. I know recently there's a lot of the lower divisions that really excite us, but for most people it's always, especially the casual audience, it's always the heavyweight division. No matter what you say, it'll always be the Ali's, the Foreman's, the Frasers, the Larry Holmes, the George Foreman's of the world. These are the types of names that they attach themselves to, the big hitters, the big punchers. And Pinklin Thomas, was, was he was that. And that, and that's why he gets the opportunities. I, I believe he gets the opportunities because he's an American heavyweight. He's, he's rising himself up the ranks. He's, he's getting involved with the right people around at the time. Don King, obviously, was... was one of the most pivotal and influential promoters of that period, of that era, him and Bob Arum in particular were, were, were two of the greatest at the time. They were putting on the greatest fights, some of the most legendary nights, some of them that we've covered for Legendary Nights uh, podcast. And I think making that decision to go with Don King, as shady as it may seem, actually was the right move for him at the time because he put... Dunking all, oh, you know, he's like what Eddie Earns like today. He'll sell sand to the Arabs. That's the type of guy that he he was in, in in the sport. And I think Pinkland Thomas made the decision to go with him and made the right decision because he did present him with the the opportunities that he needed. However, it was Pinkland that fell short. It was Pinkland that fell short at times where he could have been more. But we're talking like he's not achieved anything. Let's remember he did he did get the call to fight Tim Witherspoon as a replacement to fight him with a spoon and goes on to beat him to become the WBC heavyweight champion of the world. That's an achievement, really, that he deserves his accolades for that. He deserves his accolades for stepping in at the last minute and he deserves his accolades for for winning that title in a time where the heavyweight division was full of of talent. And it, it might not feel like it, talking about it now, and it might not feel like it to people who listen who maybe have grown up through the, the early 2000s and, and looked at the heavyweight division there. But the likes of, of Trevor Burbeck, Tim Witherspoon, Frank Bruno, Pinkland Thomas, Mike Tyson, you know, these were all the names in the heavyweight division at the time. These were all talented fighters. And these were the guys that people like Pinkland Thomas had to get through to, to get to the top of that mountain. So for him to beat Tim Witherspoon was, a, it was an amazing achievement given where he had come from, given what he'd undergone throughout his life. I, For me, personally, I, I was quite... I was quite happy about that when, when retelling this story that, you know, he was able to get through a lot of his troubles and get there. Well, I always say, and I've been saying it a lot, maybe you can relate to this, is sometimes you got to go through it to get to it. And it felt like he really went through a lot to get to the terrible Tim fight. And when he won, it is a sense of relief and satisfaction. But the way I kind of look at Pinklin in this era is, Oftentimes people will say, well, who did Larry Holmes fight? Who did Mike Tyson fight? Well, they fought Pinklin Thomas. They fought the Tim Witherspoons. They fought the Trevor Burbicks. The reason we remember Mike Tyson and Larry Holmes is they beat most of those guys. And those guys couldn't quite beat them. But it doesn't mean that they weren't world-class fighters. They weren't able to beat our modern legends. And the context I look at, whether it was drug addiction or whether it was he just wasn't quite there, he wasn't ever quite able to beat the legends but he was someone who could give a legend a solid test and i think that that's where he was a world champion but he was also someone who when he went in there with an all-time great he wasn't just blown out 
they had to think they had to use their mind they had to give it an honest effort and he was like a perfect assessment tool for fighters getting to the next level to superstardom i think you you talked about it on last week's after show when you talked about going through mike tyson's career and the name just springs out to you straight away and you think pinkle and thomas the reason you say that is because at the time when the fight was put forward for Tyson, it was a genuine threat. It was a genuine test for Tyson. It was someone who we thought, actually, this isn't going to be a walkover. This isn't going to be a guy that he's just going to blow away within a couple of rounds. This is a guy that's going to give him a lot of problems throughout the fight. And through this story, through Pinkland's life story, you get to see it from his perspective. You get to hear it from his perspective and his words. And, you know, he's talking about, like, what his tactics were going into that fight. And if you watch the fight, I suppose it's open to your own interpretation as to how you see the first five rounds going in the fight as to whether you think the tactics of Pinkland Thomas were working to try and tire Mike Tyson out or whether it was just he felt that way, but in reality it wasn't that way. I think for me, you know, he could have been better in that fight. Would he have beat Mike Tyson? Probably not, but he would have probably gone the distance with Mike Tyson should his preparation for that fight have not been hindered. And that is always a key factor in a lot of these big fights where a lot of these guys who you expect to do better than they actually do are usually hindered by some outside activity or some outside incident. I mean, look at the most recent incident with Tiafimo Lopez losing the titles that he had to George Cambosis. I mean, in the aftermath of it, it turns out he's got some condition that actually could have killed him leading up to the fight, but his antics outside of the ring left a lot to question as to what his preparation and his dedication was for that fight. So that is the comparison I'm making with Pinkland for the Tyson fight is he wasn't really in the right, fully right frame of mind going into that fight. And I think he felt like his skill and his, his toughness and his punch power would get him through the fight and give Tyson the test that he needed. Yeah, and I think also the way I looked at this fight prior to doing research on Pinklin is there's like, remember the fight night video game where they had Ollie and Tyson? And it's like, imagine if these two fought. So I think it, looking at it from a historical context, you got Angelo Dundee and Pinklin's corner. So it's like, to me, it's like, okay, how would Ollie kind of done? Because there's Ollie's coach. And there's a little bit of that for me when you see that. And then to see Pinklin have some success, get stopped. And then he kind of goes on this world tour of kind of like rough fights where he fights Holyfield. He fights Mike Hunter, Riddick Bowe, Tommy Morrison. It's kind of like he, from fighting Tyson, it's like every relevant heavyweight's like, yeah, I want to, I want to fight you and try to stop you before Tyson. Yeah, no, he does. That's the thing, isn't that's exactly what he goes on to do. Like you say, he rightly pointed out, he then goes on to fight some of the the, the greats of, of of that heavyweight era from the late eighties going into the early nineties. Of course, when when he when he's coming back and he's trying to you know resurrect his career and he's trying to fight these guys that are on the scene, the Riddick Bowes, the Tommy Morrison's. These are a pivotal fights, but his success, his skills, I think, have started to wane at this point. He's is his motivation there like it once was? I mean, he'll probably tell you it was. But in reality, and you look at his life and you hear the stories in, in the episode, was it really? I mean, it makes it made me question whether, you know, once he'd got that heavyweight title off Tim Witherspoon, was it a case of, you know, he'd reached the top 
and there's only one way to go once you've got there and that's completely down the mountain and that's exactly what he did and it was like he was never able to get back up it again but he was still classed as for by many as probably like a gatekeeper and I think that's probably the best way I could describe him after his his run as a heavyweight champion after he won that title it's like he, he loses it and then he becomes a gatekeeper for that heavyweight era and those fighters like your Tommy Morrisons and your Riddick Bowes and your Holyfields that are coming up the ranks and are looking to go on to, to do some great things in the sport. Well, I want to offer something deeply sincere. And this is an observation I actually had when I watched an MMA fight. And I don't even really watch MMA, but I watched this guy, Ben Rothwell, and I'd seen him a while back and he's been fighting for 10, 12 years. And watching him get stopped in about 30 seconds and the way he got stopped and it's kind of clear that he's past his prime it reminded me of something i kind of see with a lot of fighters as they get old so i'm going to try to explain this and i think this sums up pinklin thomas to me fighters develop bad habits but when they're young or they're more focused or they're more committed to the sport maybe they can get away with those bad habits and sometimes the bad habits never get them in trouble but as things change in your life with a family, whether you get burnt out on the sport, all of a sudden you start to see these fighters' bad habits come out. And I almost equate it to a disease because to be a fighter, you have to almost be delusional and not logical because what you're doing is illogical. So they're going to go in there courageous and brave and believe it. And when they get in these moments, it's utterly sad because you can see they're trying to go back to some place that used to work, but it's the timing, it's the age, and it's it's this real like almost mortality feeling I'm starting to see when I see this occur where they just don't have it anymore. And it's very primitive and it's just like this is when it's over and you want the show to end at this point. And I feel like when you look at the Riddick Bow and the Tommy Morrison fight, at the highest level, Pinklin's kind of getting into that territory to me. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's not uncommon, is it? Like, that's one of the most common themes in the sport is that fighters always, nine times out of ten, will go on too long. They will go on longer than what they need to. And by that point, the reasons for being in the sport have probably changed from being this young, hungry contender slash challenger to maybe becoming a world champion. And once that world title gets taken from them whichever way it gets taken from them then it becomes a case of well what are my motivations now am i still hungry as a fighter to to want to go on and achieve something else in the sport or is it now about getting as much money as i possibly can and again i'll make a comparison to the modern era of where we are at, at the moment amir khan versus kel brook in february of next year a fight that should have happened five six years ago two guys that are 34 35 respectively who we have seen over the past two to three years declined so much in the ring with their attributes that you just want them to go and retire and leave the sport because there is nothing left for them to prove they've reached the mountain the top of it and they've gone to the pinnacle of it they're never going to recapture that that glory but for them now it's clearly and it's clearly all about money. It's quite evident it's all about money. They, they're they capitalising on an opportunity to sell a fight to the public that even though it's five, six years too late and many people accept it's that, it's that late, people are still intrigued to see who will actually win out of two guys that have had these war of words for many, many years. And this is what tends to happen a lot in the sport. And for, for guys like Pinklin, 
his motivation, his enthusiasm towards the sport at this point in time in the early 90s, whilst any fighter will always mask it and cover it and say, well, it's because I want to become a champion again or it's, it's because I want to do this. Nine times out of ten, it's because of the money. They know they need to secure their retirement fund because once boxers retire, not a lot of them have got the skills in life to be able to move on and actually achieve something else None of them, you know, not a lot of them go to university and study and get a degree and have a backup plan. A lot of them, when they get into the sport, it's because of a troubled upbringing and there's never usually a plan B. If you're successful enough, you'll walk away with millions of dollars, millions of pounds, and you'll be set for life. But if you're not, and you can only get to a certain point, then you're going to have to make your investments very wisely because otherwise you are going to end up on the scrap heap which is a really sad state of affairs. And I think Pinkland Thomas's career at that point, them particular fights you've mentioned, are, are fights that were, because they were names, they were people that were really rising to the top of their game, there was an opportunity for Pinkland to make a decent amount of money to be able to get in the ring and, and hang it with these young guys. Well, I think the other thing that really hurts fighters too is two things. And now I'm going super deep dive, Lukey, but I think people like the deep dive, Lukey, is amateur boxing tournaments. A lot of these guys come from the amateurs. You lose a tournament. Okay, three months from now, I'll fight again. So, you know, okay, we just fix it with the next fight, right? So you, there's that. And then we see fights like George Cambosis, Andy Ruiz, Buster Douglas. Well, that's going to be me. I know I'm just as good as that guy. And they're not necessarily looking at the circumstances, the situations. Do they have the coaches in place, the strength and conditioning? Are they investing into themselves? Because a lot of times what I see is people will invest the bare minimum in their training camps and expect the biggest return when most of the time that's probably the most unrealistic expectation. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I, I do. I think... Your, um, your super deep dive is a very good assessment of, of, of how the realities of the sport can be uh, at, at a lot of the time as well. And for, for me, this story about Pinklin is a story of something something that you mentioned, I think, previously, Lukey, in a couple of episodes. You've said about we've not had... There's some stories where we've done them and we felt like we've never been able to get that redemption you know, where they've been able to see the fighters actually move on and, 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 and achieve something else outside of the sport or actually go on and, and live a relatively healthy and normal life. Fortunately, Pinklin is one of them that we've covered where he has gone on to do that. And it was great to be able to cover that aspect of his life at the end of our episode. He's like, look, you know, he's, he's come from an absolute shitstorm of the streets He's gone on to become a world champion, actually picks up the lightly regarded IBO at the time and becomes a two-time world heavyweight champion, ends his career, makes relatively decent money for him to substantiate a decent life, kicks the habit and is, is living a great life now. And, and obviously he's been ducted into the Hall of Fame. You know, he's he's living a great life. He's enjoying his life. He's, 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 he's happy that he's been able to take more from boxing than boxing's taken from him, which is sometimes quite a, a rare feat. You see a lot of these fighters, like they don't always take what they should take from the sport and it takes a lot more from them. I think Pinklin, I think to me, is a good example of, of a fighter that's kind of equaled it out a little bit. I mean, he's had a really rocky start. He could have, he could have messed things up big time, big time, but he's managed to overcome these adversities, become a heavyweight champion, still 
get involved in more adversity and still manage to come back from it. I mean, the fact that he had a stroke as well. I have not mentioned that aspect of it yet. The fact he has a stroke and then goes in and fights Evander Holyfield. I didn't I didn't know that. I, I genuinely didn't know that until we did our research for this and I'm like, this just shows like the the testicular fortitude of that man to do what he did, to get in the ring with Evander Holyfield after having a stroke, after literally losing the the left side of his body. And yeah, it clearly affected that fight. And it probably clearly affected the rest of his career. Which is probably why his motivations were money and not about, you know, essentially looking at championships anymore. But for him to do that, that's a, that's an amazing achievement in itself. Well, I mean, I just, in my notes, I say that I looked at, he had no stability. You know, it was like he'd put certain people on a pedestal, but he knew he wasn't stable enough to stay with him almost. So he valued certain people and offered, look at their insight. But it's like, even he knew that he couldn't. And he reminded me of in Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? There's that song, I'm a Man of Constant Sorrow. It feels like he's the evergreen story of addiction, loving wealth, and a belief that I can't be a sad story, which always kind of turns someone into, even if they are a story of triumph, if you believe you're not going to be a sad story, typically you become a sad story. Yeah. Well, Pink Pinkland's not that, is he? That's the thing. That's the great thing about it. And, you know, I, I said to you last week that I'd been in contact with him and that, you know, I was looking forward to seeing whether he'd come on the show and he, he seemed interested. Well, I've had more conversations with him and he's definitely interested and he wants to come on. He wants to do, you know, an addendum to the episode. Uh, at first he was talking about a movie. He wants to do a movie on his life. He was having that conversation with me and I said to him, I think that'd be amazing. I think your story would make a fantastic boxing movie slash, you know, movie of redemption. I think that'd be really good to see. But in terms of, of life after boxing, he is more than willing to come and speak to us and, and have that conversation and, and let us know really, like, where is he at now? Like, what what when he looks back on things now, how does he perceive everything now? And I'll be really interested to hear from him. So when he does manage to to get onto us when he does manage to come on uh whenever that be when it's when it whenever it's you know if it's the end of the season or or whether it's next week or whenever it is he will come on and he will have this conversation with us so it, it does excite me to hear it from him like where things really are for him now and you know from what i can see and what i see on his social media pages that that, that are being run by himself things seem to be going really well things seem to be going great for him he seems to be making lots of appearances he had the book uh back from the edge of hell in 2017 which is a great read by the way if anybody's not read it make sure you do go and read it it is really worth reading because there are many stories in there that you know we decided not to include everything that's in that book because it'd basically be like plagiarizing the book and we decided to to, to leave some of that to people's surprise really so that you know when they go away and they listen to this and they think well actually I might buy that book now you know you'll actually delve into some other elements of his life and you'll think there's a lot more layers to this this guy there's so much more and I'm excited for people to to have the opportunity to do that and then also hear from Pinkland himself probably dropping a few pearls of wisdom to us about about how things change for him and how how he deals with life now and and how he deals with adversity now compared to how he did when he was in his 20s. So he kind of reminds me of this guy that when I in the early 2000s, there was this guy in San Francisco. He was a pianist. At, I want to say he was at Nordstrom's in downtown San Francisco. They had this big mall that all the tourists go to. His name was DJ Leibowitz, and he was like a punk rock pianist guy, but he'd do like these real 
beautiful piano things. And then like they give him like a two minute thing and he tried to do like a Ramon song with the piano. And I feel like for some reason, that's who Pinklin Thomas kind of occupies boxing for me as. It's like there's there's this unique place in the world for this guy where we know that he's brilliant, but we don't quite know how to categorize his brilliance. And we don't even know if the world itself will accept his brilliance, but he does stand out and he does deserve his accolades away from the rest. He's different than the rest, but I'm not sure how to explain he's different because we normally just explain people are different because of how great they are in the ring. And he didn't quite have that types of success to simply explain it like that. No. And, and I think people can perceive that, that those comments, how they want to like, you know, how do you interpret success? Do you interpret it as, did he need to win more than one championship? Did he need to have a longer run with a championship for me, him winning the championship, given what he came from, was was the ultimate success. I mean, you can't get better than the WBC Heavyweight Championship at that time when, when obviously that was what? Was there only two belts? Was the WBA belt around at the time? I think it was, and the WBO came in a lot later. Then uh, obviously the IBO, which he won later on down the line. The IBF, I think, was that around 1985, the IBF? So, you know, there was WBC was the most prestigious title they had at the time, and for him to win that, is, is is amazing in the era that he was in with the guys that were, he was around i think is is an amazing achievement for me and everything else he's overcome is an amazing achievement and he's always been great i've, I've really enjoyed it it's been one of the most entertaining ones uh, and one of the most uh, feel-good stories because i feel like i've come away from that story not just with a, uh, a, a an absolute massive respect for him but sort of this great feeling of knowing that no matter what you you do in your life, no matter you know, how bad things can get, like you can turn things around and you can make things better. And there is a way forward, no matter how hard things seem at the time. And to put into context, Larry Holmes in 1983 had a split decision with Terrible Tim. Tim then ended up winning the belt from Greg Page in a split decision. And then Pinklin Thomas comes in, like you said, a late replacement opponent i'm trying to think of like a great example of this in modern boxing history but i guess what makes him so unique to being pinklin is there's not really a modern pinklin thomas there's not really a fighter that i i think of like that i mean i i maybe if like a michael hunter came out and won a belt on short notice maybe michael hunter is there, I think Michael's a bit more talented than Pinklin Thomas, but I mean, I'm trying to think of someone where we know the talent's there, we're just waiting for the performance, and that's kind of what Pinklin Thomas is. I think, like, guys like Luis Ortiz, I mean, Luis Ortiz springs out to mind for the reason is we know how much talent he's got. He's just not been able to to show it as, as, as good as, as what we always have known him to be. He's just not been able to fulfill that, that potential. So Luis Ortiz kind of feels like a little bit like the modern version of him. Like, although Luis Ortiz hasn't won anything, he's still got all that skill level, which I think is more skill level than what Pinklin had in his career. But he's just not been able to achieve. He's, he's you know, twice he fought Deontay Wilder and twice I felt he was beating him and he, he got 
hurt by by them punches, them heavy punches that he had, and that just ended ended the fight. But up to, up until that point, his skill was taking over. So I kind of feel like Luis Ortiz might be a name that I can think of off the top of my head. Mike Hunter, as you said, a great a great way. You know, he's a guy that's just he's battling his way through. I think he needs to have he needs to have more fights. He needs to have more competitive fights, more defining fights. I think before we can start to look at him in a different light for me personally that is but i think pinklin you know is a guy that i think if he was around in this this generation i think he, he would probably struggle with a lot of the guys that are around and i know it's a bit fantasy fight talk but i just kind of look at his style look at the way he was you know who 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 does he sort of compare to in terms of his his style in the ring i think he's got elements of the way Anthony Joshua boxes, I think there's some elements there as well. But then the fact that he had Angelo Dundee in his corner, who was one of the best motivators you you could ever have in your corner, was also something that doesn't really get touched on a lot upon in his career when you think of him. You don't think of Angelo Dundee because you always think of Muhammad Ali and that pairing. You, you, you don't realise, actually, Angelo Dundee was the one that probably really transformed his career when he got in his corner. And he was the reason why he went on to win the heavyweight title. And something Pinklin says himself, you know, if it didn't have Angelo Dundee, I probably wouldn't have been a heavyweight champion. So that definitely played a significant part in his career. And I think that also that also helps as to how these fighters can get along. You know, if you've got an amazing trainer in your corner and you've got a bang average fighter, you know, this guy can... It's like it's like working on it's like working on a rock, you know. You sculpt this rock into whatever it is you want to sculpt it in, and it's like Angelo Dundee did that with Pinklin, and he got him to the point where he won the world heavyweight championship, and that was the pinnacle. And he did what he could with what he had in front of him, and I, and and that's kind of how I see Pinklin. And I think he was he was a very good fighter. He was really established. He had a great jab, and I honestly think like in this era he, he'd probably struggle. But he would probably have success against some of the other fighters. I, th- I just don't think he would be that guy that would be, you know, the legendary fighter. He, he wouldn't be the guy that we think of and we think of our modern era fighters. He would just be the guy that you see as a, a fringe level fighter, a guy that sits in, say, category B. You've got your category A fighters like your Usyks, your Furies, your even your Joshuas, your Deontay Wilders. You know, these are the category A guys that have been ruling the roost for the past few years. And you've got category B guys. You know, these are the Pinkland Thomases of the world. The Dillian Whites, the Derek Chisoras, you know, the Adam Quinakis, Robert Hellaniuses. These are these guys. These are the B-level fighters that that make good fights with the, the A guys, but just not quite good enough to be an A guy. But I also want to push back. I think if Pinkland Thomas fought now, he'd be called a cruiserweight. I just don't think that he would be fighting in the heavyweight division. And then you made me think of when you said the mold of rock, I had to pull up for myself. Have you ever seen when the TV reporter knocks over the ice sculpture and the the ice sculpture guy freaks out? So I had to just pull that up to get a little smile going. But I think if Pinklin Thomas was fighting, he'd be a, a cruiserweight fighting in Germany. Not unlike, like, I think his comparison, honestly, to me, if I'm trying to be accurate, would be Steve Cunningham. That's who Pinklin Thomas would probably be. Yeah, I suppose you could look at it like that as well. Yeah, cruiserweight. How would he have done in the cruiserweight division? Again, it makes you wonder, doesn't it? It makes me wonder anyway. It starts to make me think, like, honestly, like he was a, he was an established fighter and with the right trainer in his corner, he could have won multiple titles in the cruiserweight division. 
dependent upon who was around at the time. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's one of these things where I feel like Pinklin was a guy where you just had to get him in the gym and he had a lot of talent and it was about motivating. And I feel like he's a destination boxer. You had to get Pinklin to the destination. He's probably going to show up regardless, but you wanted him to get to the destination with a bag packed, a car that can get him to the destination. Because when we fought Tommy Morrison, I don't think the bag was packed. I think he had a, a raggedy we if you took him and you had a good car you had a bag packed you had some form of an itinerary telling him we eat at this time we're going to the denny's we're going here he was capable of winning it just felt like for him all the chaos that surrounded him would always be his undoing he seemed like he was someone that when he was most successful was around a lot of structure yeah i agree with that i think that's a a good a good uh, observation of of his story, I think that's that's kind of how you can perceive it. Really, is is, and it also makes you look at like how modern boxing is and and how having structure in a in a boxer's you know training camp in in, in an eight or a twelve week training camp. It shows you how important that structure is to a fighter, and having that structure helps them achieve their optimum weight, their you know their optimum peak performance in in sparring. And this is what Pinklin was like. He needed someone like an Angelo Dundee to, to help him get there. Without Angelo Dundee in his corner, would he have become a world heavyweight champion? Well, I mean, I think that we're going to, as pundits and boxing historians, we're going to say no, but I don't want to discount him either because the, for all we know, that could have been Angelo Dundee, but he also fought the fight. Like, let's not forget, there's been tons of great coaches that do great camps for fighters, they get hit by a big punch and they start doing weird stuff. So at the end of the day, Pinklin still stayed composed against a world championship level fighter who fought to a split decision with Larry Holmes. Larry Holmes is considered a top 10 heavyweight and he beat this fighter who gave a top 10 heavyweight one of the hardest fights. The issue with Pinklin was he was unable to sustain these type of performances. It was basically a small window and then the rest was remembering what he used to be able to do. Yeah, I've I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed going through this with you in this episode and this after show because you know it's good to get a different perspective on how you perceive Pinklin Thomas's career and his life and and the events that led up to where he got to and and, and obviously his, his his fall from grace in in a boxing ring and, and ultimately how he's turned things around in his life and he's living a relatively normal life now and he's enjoying life and. It's, it's it's a completely different story. Like I said before, when I talked about, you know, we, we're not leading up to an event that that changes the course of his of his life. We're we're talking about multiple events happening over a short space of time, which drive him a certain way. And and unfortunately, it was it was driving him the right way. Although there were some bumps in that in that road along the way. He was essentially on the right path. It was just that there were moments where, you know, he kind of veered off just a little bit and it needed people around him to, to guide him back onto the right road. And, and that's ultimately what happens with him. And that's, I think that's what I like about his story. It's like he's able to overcome so much adversity. Even though he brought a lot of this adversity upon himself, he was able to overcome it and move on in his life and, you know, be really satisfied with what he did in his boxing career. Some might even suggest that he overachieved in his boxing career. Is that a fair comment? 
Probably not. Probably not, because I think he was around a really difficult era of guys that are very underrated and not as appreciated in, in this modern era that we're in. So I don't think he was uh, an overachiever. I think he achieved what he set out to do and, and what he had the skills to do with the right people around him to do. And I think it was just a shame that he weren't able to be consistent with that because the consistency might have led to further title defences. And I'm not saying he would have gone on and become a top 10 legend. Absolutely not. I don't think he would have been. But I certainly think he would have had more fights with more guys around that period of time and, and would have had the opportunity to make more title defences, which may have left a little bit more of a legacy. But at the end of the day, he won the World Heavyweight Championship. You can't do more than that. You can't if you walk if you go into the sport with an ambition to win a world title and you leave the sport having won a world title, I mean what more can you ask for? Is that a successful career? Well, if that's what you've set out to do, then to me it is. Well, to me, I think that the another issue with this, especially the heavyweights were in the eighties before Tyson was we're dealing with an era before hip-hop was in the mainstream. So when we look back and it's like poor neighborhoods, it's just going to look really old and outdated because it's before rap music. We don't understand it. Just things look really weird. It's like a time, it's like a time before we can comprehend. And then you had these really cool fighters fighting on TV named Leonard, uh, Hagler, Hearns, Roberto Duran, and let's be honest, Larry Holmes and Terrible Tim were not capturing America's mm-hmm. imagination the same way Marvin Hagler and Tommy Hearns and Ray Leonard were. And I think that that's kind of the situation, too, is Pinklin Thomas is one of the guys that was fighting in that era. But the whole world moved away from the heavyweight division to follow the four kings in that time frame. Yeah, yeah, there is obviously that as well. Like, um, I think... Skill-wise, it was a difficult heavyweight division for him, but in terms of the glamour aspect of it, you know, there weren't a lot of glamour, was there? Larry Holmes wasn't a glamorous fighter. You know, he wasn't... He was a character at times, don't get me wrong. There were moments in his career where he was a character, and he had his big fight with, obviously, Jerry Cooney. However, there wasn't a lot of characters until Tyson came along. You know, you had this transition from Muhammad Ali as as this trash talker, as this guy who was able to back everything up in the ring. You transition to Larry Holmes as, as your heavyweight champion, your long-standing heavyweight champion. And some might say he wasn't the most entertaining to watch at press conferences. He wasn't the most charismatic guy in the world. And then you get Tyson, who's just a, a completely different enigma. So without that many characters around, you look around the boxing world and you see... Well, who else is around when you've got Sugar Ray Leonard? You know, you've got Marvin Hagler, Roberto Duran. I mean, what a character he was. People start to look to these characters. Aaron Pryor, another example of of that period of time in the lower weight categories. That was an absolute character. People look for characters. People look for someone like that to latch onto. And they were what brought the eyes to the sport during the 1980s. And as, as Tyson came into the foray, he started to bring the attention back to the heavyweight division when he starts to amass his record and he becomes youngest ever heavyweight champion. So, you know, it's 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 a bit of a it's a swings and roundabouts situation with uh, with boxing at that period of time. And I think Pinkland just slotted himself into that. And because he wasn't the most charismatic of people in the world. I think people just forget about him. People forget that he was WBC heavyweight champion, that he comes in at the last minute, beats Tim Witherspoon, the guy who loses on a split decision to Larry Holmes, as you said, and, and, and goes on to beat Tim Witherspoon. And, and then 
ultimately gets what he wants out of the sport. People don't appreciate that. People don't look at that. And I think our story on Pinkland's life has, has kind of given people that perspective on it. I mean, I've seen comments from the show already, like people are saying to, to us, you know, you give these fighters so much respect, you bring these fighters' stories to life. This is why we do it. This is exactly why we do it, because there are fighters that have been forgotten about, not because they wasn't good enough a lot of the time, it's because they've been overshadowed by many of the glamour fighters of the different divisions over the years, and, and these absolutely fantastic stories, these life stories, these redemptions in life, get forgotten about, and this is why we pick fighters like Pinkland Thomas to talk about. Well, who are we talking about next week? Next week's interesting because I know a lot of our listeners, uh, would you believe it, even though you know predominantly we're in the UK, me and Johnston are both in the UK and we cover the pod, It's a lot of our audience is actually American and Canadian, and then the rest of it's the UK, Australia, Ireland, other, other places like that in the world. So a lot of the American audience are not going to know who, who this individual is unless you are interested in, in gangsters of the UK, unless you, you know, you're a fan of the craze and you, you're interested in the craze. This guy is not a cray. However, he is a, another type of, of, of guy that was involved in boxing for only a short period of time, would probably be considered now as a bit of a journeyman. He didn't have many fights in his career. However, it was the events that would unfold outside of the ring that would lead to many convictions, life sentences, and, and even his family had had life sentences involved in, in their lives as well. And that, that sort of puts a little bit of perspective on, you know, this guy becoming involved in many, many unsavoury incidents that would, would ultimately lead to him being in prison more than he was out of prison. And I'm I'm really excited to do it. His name is Paul Sykes. So for anybody who doesn't know who Paul Sykes is, I'm going to tell you to jump onto Google now and have a quick look at him, uh, and just have a little bit of a read up on him. There is a you know quite a decent amount of information out there on him, but what we have for this episode, I think is is you know as always we try to get a definitive. We try to get information that maybe people have never heard about before, uh, and I hope that we've done justice for it. So Paul Sykes is the next episode. And then we'll be coming to the, towards the end of our last two episodes. But when I said Paul Sykes to you, I know I've mentioned this to you before, Luke. Like, did you did it ring a bell? Did you have any clue whatsoever who he was? So I had like I do deep dives, and I I didn't know it at first, but then I vaguely, when I was reading the Wikipedia page, I vaguely remembered that there was like some. I don't know if it's Charles Bronson or something or another, something was based around um, him. And I had remembered earlier in my life that someone, because all my life I've been the boxing guy, even when I didn't follow boxing. And I remember there was some movie college level movie where it's like a violent movie. People are watching it, you know, just a bunch of guns, uh, kind of like paint by numbers. How do we get to another violent scene? How do we get to another explosion scene? And I remember he was the premise of some form of a character. So I get, I don't know much about him, but I think I understand kind of the concept of like what an allegory of him is, but I'm interested to listen to the episode and become an expert. 
Well, this is what it's all about. Like, we try to do a definitive picture of these guys as, as best as we can, of course. You know, we're not... At the end of the day, we, there's only so much information that is out there physically that we can get. And by whichever means we choose to do that is, is, is dependent upon what we can actually get out there. Obviously, we've been quite fortunate that there is uh, many people that are willing to uh, share information with us. There's many, many places that have... Uh, great archives that are able to produce this information sometimes we do have to pay for this information of course but that's how these episodes become so factual so informative and so story-based because we're able to actually get this level of information to present a, a true and, and depict story of, of these individuals so when you get the paul sykes episode next week i think you've got to think of you know any U any usa fight fans that are into the sort of the the mafia uh the gangsterism and you think of the uk gangsters the craze probably are the most prominent i imagine over in the usa they're probably the most well-known name in terms of uk gangsterism but you know paul sykes is a guy that probably doesn't get spoken about as as much as he should in, in that in that context in that world and i think what we're going to do is bring to light a lot more about him so it might not feel so much like a boxing episode because there's not really a lot of boxing involved with Paul. You know, he, like I said, he does have a little short run as a boxer, short short career where you could class him as a journeyman. However, I think because he was involved in boxing and a lot of fighting outside of the ring, I think it kind of it does really sort of give you a lot of context to as to how boxing can change people's lives, but not always in the way you anticipate it will. Why, well, like my general. Uh, feeling and this will be my last thing is it seems like he's very feared because a guy like this doesn't get a full episode unless people don't fear him interesting there well you know there's many 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 people out there that have got their own opinions and they're entitled to it and I think we, we've got some good factual information out there it's, it's stuff that's in the public domain it's just been dug out put together to tell a great story and people are, are open to be able to interpret how they perceive this individual. And it's their choice. You know, they can perceive him as a good guy or uh, an anti-hero. I think he's probably what most people might perceive him as. Uh, or people might just, you know, look at him and go, bloody hell, this guy's a bit of a scumbag. So everyone will walk away with a different opinion. It's, it's down to them to choose how they do it. Uh, with, with Paul Sykes' story, there is obviously other literature. There is actually a movie being made about him as we speak. So we're getting this episode out there. And then there will be a movie going out there. So I think the movie will probably... This this episode will definitely give you the feelers as to what a movie is going to be like or how, how you could visualise a movie. So I'm excited to do it. It's a different episode. It's a name that's probably not well known worldwide unless you're into researching gangsters of the world. I think you won't know much about this story. And when you do hear it, then you'll make your own comparisons probably with gangsters of the USA, with the mob uh, and, and different crime families across the USA. You'll probably have a lot of comparisons to make as to some of the incidents that have happened there over the years. So I'm excited in the sense that it gives people a bit more enlightenment about them and, and, and it might even make them want to go out and, and find more books, read more books, look at more literature uh, and, and generally just ed be educated more on somebody who's been involved in the sport, who who's had more a more troubled life outside of the ring and, and, and not really achieved what he probably could have done inside of it. Well, I am very excited. I'm getting my um, monocle ready and I'm going to sit back and listen to all that. And I can't wait to talk with you next week. 
It's fabulous. Well, thank you, as always, Luke. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for uh, hosting us on ITR's Boxing YouTube channel. If everybody's not already subscribed to it, get on it. Get subscribing. You know, Lukey, I see you pumping interviews out left, right and centre. So, guys, if you want to get some really great interviews, please do make sure you're subscribing to his channel and giving him an opportunity to present to you some some great boxing personalities, some great individuals from the world. Just some great work. Uh, obviously, everybody who follows us, I think you already know where to follow us now. The Darker Side of Boxing on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram. You can find the BTR Boxing Podcast Network everywhere you go. Uh, thanks for listening, as always. And Luke, final word to you. Thank you, as always, for hosting us. And thank you for your friendship. I look forward to next week. Sports Social Podcast Network.